Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, May the 10th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's having a great day. A day off from the Mets after a very difficult road trip. Coming to you a couple of days early. Uh, with the holiday weekend, Mother's Day, uh, and what's going on on the road trip, just from a guest perspective, and, you know, timing, I thought, coming to you a couple of days early was um, was a better scenario. Not to say I won't be doing a podcast uh, on Sunday, but I think um, I think uh, the timeliness today made much more sense. Had an opportunity to catch up last night with our friend from SNY, SNY's Mets blog, Matt Cerrone. Matt also has a, a book out. Uh, called uh, the New York Mets fans bucket list. He's been on the show before. He's talked about his book, and Matt's uh, one of the pioneers in the thing that we do here when it comes to blogging and podcasting and things like that. So I always enjoy catching up with him, and the timing is pretty appropriate because right now you have a lot of stuff going on with this team, all of it negative, and you have different scenarios. You got a team that's slumping, which happens in a baseball season. You have a manager that was not hired by the GM that has been embraced lukewarm by both the fans and the media from day one of his hire. And when you look at everything right now with how baseball is, the fact that you know you really could, with two wild cards, evaluate a team much deeper into the season. It's funny about how critical everybody's being about the Mets. I even laughed when I saw that uh, the media had asked Robinson Cano after the San Diego loss on Wednesday afternoon about how if it's time to panic or be concerned. And he looked at them and said, what? 
Are you are you kidding me? Because you know, thirty seven you know, thirty seven games in he even pointed out how the two thousand nine World Champion Yankees were under five hundred. And what's funny is that there's so many examples about teams and their seasons and how their seasons go. Even the twenty fifteen Mets who were who got off to a hot start and then were under five hundred late June by a game. The twenty sixteen Mets who were under five hundred in August and how those teams rebounded played pretty well down the stretch and uh, and made the playoffs. Not ideal. Not ideal. That's not how you want things to go. You want things to go like 2006 when you get off to the gangbuster start, expand the lead and then, you know, have your 95, 96, 97 win season and that's and that's what you the blueprint says, but often than not with this journey when you're trying to make the playoffs, win a championship, put together a baseball season, you don't you don't always follow the script and the blueprint. I mean, look, there's been teams I was even looking at the 2006 Dodgers who the Mets played. They were eight games under 500 late in the season. The Oakland Athletics, uh, who won 100 games under Art Howe in 2002, were six games under. The Braves had a team in, I think, 2003 that won the division, was probably six or seven games under, uh, you know, almost halfway through the season uh, or a little bit before that. So I don't worry too much about peaks and valleys. What you don't want to see happen is... Things spiral, and that's what's happened over the last couple of years. And I think that's where this deja vu feeling for the fans and the media has happened. Last year just spiraled. June happened, and it, and they never were able to get out of it. And things went from bad, went from slump to bad to 62 Mets to season over, and no chance to recover. And then when they did recover, and they did play well, and they did play as I expected them to play, where they had one of the best records in the National League East through the final, what, 60 or 70 games. Uh, it was too late. It was garbage time at that point, and, and, and the season was lost. I don't, I don't want to make too much of the next 16 games, and I also think that the fact that it's a soft schedule, quote-unquote, that's what the media is perpetuating. I think they're underestimating the Washington Nationals, who anytime you play a team, I don't care how badly they're playing, how dysfunctional they are, Dave Martinez, the manager, all that stuff. Injuries, I know they have had injuries, and some of those guys are going to be coming back, so they're going to be much tougher. But a team that has Strasburg and Scherzer and Corbin, uh, you're not going to just roll in and steamroll those teams. Those are going to be series. And you saw the Mets play the Nationals earlier this year. They were they were tough games, and I know their bullpen is bad, but they're still a tough team. So you have a softer schedule. It's not as hard as it's been. It's not as hard as it's going to get when they have to go out to L.A. later this month. It is an opportunity to go out there. I've seen some, you know, scouts and talent evalu- evaluators say the Mets need to really go eleven and five, win seventy percent of the games. I think, look, they go in and they get out of this thing two, three games over five hundred, and and I don't anticipate Philadelphia or any of the other teams in the National League East running away with it. I don't anticipate the teams that are going to be potentially competition in the wild card running, running away with anything because the, I've seen every team be flawed. And the Mets have been in every game. And, and, the, and the funny part about context is the Mets are a bad 18-inning loss and a couple of robbed home runs away from having a 3-3 three and three road trip. That's how close this thing is. And that's how frustrating it is. And I think that's where the, a lot of the fan frustration is, where they want to scapegoat. They want to fire somebody. They want to go out there and, and, and tar and feather someone. They want to you know yell and scream. They want to make trades. It's so close. They're not going – and I think the big difference with this team over the last couple of years is I felt when things went bad with the other two teams is that the games became non-competitive. They were, they were easy knockouts. Quick three, four runs in the first or second inning – Bam, they were done. Maybe they scored a run or two, but they went down meekly. This team competes and fights, and I thought the middle game of the series with the Pete Alonso home run was a big win. I mean, that that they needed that, and they were down. That was a game that, if you want to take away a positive, that was a game that I think last year's team bounces out on, and they probably lose all six games on the road trip, and we're even in a worse position here uh, as we talk. The Mets would be even in a worse position. What I will say is that over the next two to three weeks, I think Mickey Calloway is going to be fighting for his managerial life. And is that fair? It's probably not. It's definitely not. This does remind me a little bit of 2008. It's different because the Mets aren't coming off this great 2006, although 2015 could be considered that. 2007 was that awful collapse, and, and 17 and 18 and 16 weren't you know collapses, but 
they were disappointments, and I think the team underachieved for large parts, even the year they made the playoffs, for large parts of each of those seasons, even though they were injuries and maybe they were poorly constructed rosters and talent gaps, I still think they underachieved. And I think coming into this season, there was hope, like when the Mets had gotten Johan Santana in 2008, and there was a decent start. Like, I think that they had gotten off to a halfway decent start, I believe, that season. And then things went bad, and things were getting really bad. And the difference is, is that team had the noose or the the anchor or the yoke that goes around their neck about the collapse, the disappointment of 2006, how they lost to the Cardinals, a series everybody thought they should have won. They had Tony Bernazard running around playing politics, undermining just about anybody in the organization that was getting in his way of achieving his personal goal. Nothing that had to do with the team, which was becoming the team's GM. You obviously haven't heard from Tony Bernazard since, so that tells you how those kind of antics, how those eventually go over. And uh, Willie Randolph gets fired, you know, 60-some-odd games in the season, middle of the night, media pounding, oh, how horrible it is, and, you know, the, you know, he made the guy get on the plane. I have to tell you, if that happens to Mickey Calloway, I don't think anybody's going to say a word. And... I, I, I say all the time that a manager has to manage the media, and I think they have to manage the front office right now in addition to their players and, and just, you know, in-game manage the bullpen. There's very few things that I think other than that lineup-wise that they have to manage. But uh, Mickey right now is has not been hired by the front office that he's working for. He certainly doesn't have many fans in the media. I think the fan base, because he's not fiery, because he's very balanced, he's very much how baseball is or baseball should be when you're successful. You go out, you work really hard, you get your routine, and you try to be as good as possible within the skills and the role that you've, been, that you've established in, with this team in this game as possible. And then at the end, you look at the final piece, the final artwork, and it's pretty good. It's not sexy throughout the season. Now, there'll be fun peaks, and there's awful valleys, but lo and behold, generally... A good team just methodically goes out and wins a lot of 4-2, 5-3. They have some dramatic wins. They have some blowouts. But generally, it's just going out and doing your job. Remember how it used that old you know, post-game after Mets win, taking care of business song used to come on in 06, 07, 08? That's what this is really about. All this other stuff where you, know, you want to make it like the NFL every week, every night, it's not like that in baseball. And... It's funny how it's tr- they're trying to make it that way, and you have a media that's trying to make it that way, a media that's that's pigeonholed the Mets into their own narrative. A headline on the Daily News that the Mets lost the third game of the series because Dom Smith wasn't available. Would a lefty bat have helped? I'm sure it would have. Was that why they lost two out of three? No. It was Margot that robbed a couple of home runs and some balls that were hit really hard in a death valley of a ballpark that probably would be out in some ballparks. Was the fact that Tyler Bachelor got beat by a power hitter. Maybe the Padres had some guys coming out of that bullpen that are pretty good. We always forget about that. We always take credit away from the other team. But when the Mets win, the credit goes to the Mets. So I do believe, and I'm not going to sit here and mince words, I don't think they could survive a 5-11 and stretch, let's say, over the next 16 when they play Miami and Washington and Detroit. These are also major league teams, and I'm not uh, you know, going to sit here and act like they're playing the uh, the JV of, uh, of St. John's University or uh, a local high school. They're going to lose some of these games. These are big league teams. And I'll tell you what, even the Marlins are plucky. The Nationals are not going to be pushovers. So don't sit here thinking that all of a sudden that you're going to checkmark these into the win column because that's not the way it's going to work. But Mickey Calloway's fighting for his life, and it's not exactly like Willie Randolph in 2008. And maybe... Firing him and putting Jim Riggleman in and creating some chaos and some really good podcasts and some news cycle stories and maybe Riggleman will be better in the post game and maybe he'll yell and scream. I don't know much about Jim Riggleman other than he's been an interim manager a few times uh, and 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 I remember he uh, with the Cubs uh, when they when they stole a wild card away from the Mets in in 1998. Uh, maybe that'll work, but similar to Jerry Manuel coming in and also all gushing over how great he was with the media and his jokes and his quirks, I think it'll be short-lived. And I think at the end, the Mets went into the season with a plan. Their general manager went in with a plan, and Mickey Calloway was part of that plan. And unless there's a, a lot of discord in that clubhouse, or they feel they're not prepared, or they feel that they're not uh, uh, 
putting the effort in during the game, or they feel that he's so derelict in his game management that they need to make a change, then fine, make a change. But I don't see that as rational. I don't see that as a solution. I see that as feeding into the news cycle, feeding into the chaos. And for an organization that for seven years allowed a manager who was bad in game, who I felt brought very little outside of existing, who had a, a horrible resume, you know, Mickey hasn't built his resume, who had a horrible resume underneath his belt and was given every opportunity to stay and succeed when it was clear that t those teams at times needed jolts and was given excuses by the fans of the media about how it's not his fault, it's his roster. Well, you know what? I think a guy that you have now deserves at least two years when you gave the other guy seven in the face of some really derelict in-game management, some uh, laissez-faire management in that clubhouse at times, and an inability to develop young ballplayers as well, which was one of the main reasons why he finally imploded at the end after the nine lives that he was given. So, yeah, the next 16 games are important. Let's not make it out to be they're playing the, the Washington Generals. Let's also remember this is a long season. The key is very simple. I think it's important to get back to 500 quick. That'll stem the tide a little bit. You can't be taken seriously when you're under 500. And then you get over and you start to move forward. And you inch forward every week, every day. Two out of three, three out of four, three out of five. You do that, you're going to be right there in the mix at the end of the season. And I'm not convinced the team that has an elite closer, uh, when Mats is healthy, four really, three elite starting pitchers potentially and four really good ones. Guys like Alonzo and McNeil who bring some, some really good intangibles to the table. Uh, solid veterans who I'm not convinced are done. And some of the advanced metrics on all these guys, with you know, we, there was a great piece over at Metsmerized Online about Wilson Ramos and his line drive rate and his hard hit rate and how they're very similar to other seasons. Well, you know what? If that's the case, things are going to turn around because that's how baseball is. It's about consistency. It's about process. And if the process stays strong, the results will be there. Are there outliers? Sure. But at the end of the day, the data doesn't lie. And it's about consistency. And if you've done something X number of times out of 10 over the course of your career, and that's what you're continuing to do, well, you know what? You're going to start to see some of those hits fall. You're going to start to see those results turn because that's the way that the game works. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, you'll hear my conversation with Matt Cerrone. I had a chance to catch up with Matt Cerrone of SNY's Mets blog. We get into a lot of stuff, a lot of fun. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game -game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today we're back and joining us you guys know him the founder over at uh, metsblog.com he's still over there at the SNY's metsblog.com also has had a book out for about a year or so the New York Mets fans bucket list and who better to talk to during an off day after a rough road trip and a lot of rumors swirling depending on who you listen to about what's going to happen to the manager and <laughs> another it's dramatic time in Metsville it's Matt Sorrell Matt pleasure to have you on how you doing my friend I'm doing good, Mike. It's good to uh, talk to you. It's been too long. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I was reading, you had a post up a couple of days ago at Mets blog as this road trip turned pretty bad. And you outlined a lot of what the Mets can do to turn the season around. And right now, you know, if you listen to the fans, and, and you know this from doing this a long, long time, 
there's negativity and panic, and, and the media fuels on that. They love that. That fuels clicks. But I guess my perception, looking at this from the outside in, is that you have a general manager and a manager that I think are a lot more balanced than a lot of the chaos that are circling around them. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I think they are. Um, you know, the, the GM, it's been a little tricky. You know, Brody was far more out front and, uh, you know, making the rounds, <laughs> doing what he does best uh, during the offseason, even spring training, uh, which almost felt like his camp more than uh, Callaway's. Um, you know, but I guess to what you're saying, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he comes across as sort of being even keel and, you know, kind of meticulous and disciplined and, and level-headed, et cetera. But, um, you know, what my understanding is like, he wants to win. And I, I don't think he came here just to, you know, babysit a rebuild. We saw that just based on, you know, at least the start of last off season. I'm not sure everything went exactly according to plan, but, you know, he came out hot. And, you know, I think, which is my understanding is I think Fred Wilpon has retreated a little bit more. And I think Jeff is a little bit more, you know, out in front with Brody. Obviously they have a history and I think he's pretty eager to win as well. Um, You know, and I think the two of them have this sort of more aggressive synergy than maybe we would have seen the previous front offices. Now that aside, I think you're right. You know, Mickey comes from that sort of, you know, we're going to, play the line and be very, you know, uh, professional and he's not going to, you know, rock the boat. And, you know, as you know, from baseball, like that doesn't always win anyway. The guy that flips the table, we all love Wally Backman, but like that type of manager is long gone in baseball. Um, you know, my concern with Mickey, and I think uh, it was Francesca that had said this on radio, but I think it's kind of, you know, you've been hearing it brewing for a little while is, you know, if this, if this slips, especially this next two weeks where they're playing teams under 500, I mean, if they don't perform well and they, you know, they start June like five, six games under, I, you know, I do think they'll make a move with manager um, because you got to remember Brody didn't hire him. Brody did hire Jim, uh, Jim Riggleman. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that happens and, you know, the clock is ticking. It's been ticking for a while. I feel like with Mickey, um, the players love him. But, you know, they all want to win. And if they're underachieving and it looks, you know, the media is circling the wagons and the fans are getting restless and it's already early June and things aren't going well, I think the front office will make the move. And then, uh, you know, even Keel will kind of go right out the window. Yeah, some – thinking about it, I don't think it's the same because – and I think it was either Ken Davidoff or someone wrote about this. It reminds you a little of 2008 when Willie Randolph got mm-hmm. off to a slow start. Now, Willie was getting undermined by Tony Bernazard. It was a, uh, coming off a collapse. Yeah. But there's a lot of negativity here. Now, Mickey's getting killed because of how the Collins era ended and maybe the disappointment of 2016 or maybe even the disappointment of how 2015 ended. Um, you know, I don't know if it's – it's obviously not fair, and I don't know what Jim Riggleman would do. Now, certainly that would feed the lion. That would feed the fans. Yeah. That would feed the media. Sort of. Um, sort of. Sort of. I don't know if that's, the, that's a little bit of same old Mets. Are they reacting? And you always wonder. Because the theory is that the owners read the newspapers, they read the blogs, and they, and they worry about that stuff. Uh, does the GM worry about that stuff? Because sometimes I think you, you know, they're talking to the owner a lot of times when they, when they talk about this stuff on the, the internet versus where I, what I think they're just reporting. I think sometimes they're trying to pull the ownership group into it because they're reactionary. We've seen that before. That's true. I, I, don't, I think that's, that's somewhat uh, – well, one thing. You know, 15, what happened at 15 has nothing to do with now, right? There's like, I, and I'm not even sure at this point. Um, there's only, I don't think there's any position players now that Darno's gone. Um, I could be, oh no, Conforto. Um, you know, so I mean, there's been a pretty good, uh, you know, divide between that year and, and now. And I, but I think from expectations is, and maybe what you're saying, you know, they had momentum and then it went away. And then they made these changes in the front office. And then, uh, you know, with the, with the um, or I should say they made changes on, in the dugout, and then they made changes in the front office. But I think the difference is that, you know, Sandy and his front office were far more about changing the, um, you know, the, the franchise top to bottom, from how they did business to how they drafted players to how they, you know, packed their lunches. So, like, I mean, they went straight through, and it was a rebuild, and they really had to restructure because of – you know, made off and all these other things and just the way the team is doing business. And, you know, obviously they took care of that to a certain extent. And I think this 
and I cannot say this enough, and I, I know fans want to – I know that everybody has a view of Jeff Wilpon, and I'm not going to even say that it's completely inaccurate, but what I do know is that he is far more passionate and aggressive in wanting to win than I think fans give him credit for. Um, you know, I think his dad is a little bit more on his heels, more about the family-friendly experience and all that stuff, trying to recreate Ebbets Field and, and what he went, you know, what he experienced with his dad and all that. It's wonderful, but I think Jeff is a lot more of a, you know, 86, um, you know, mindset. Like, I think he wants to win. And I, for no other reason than probably just to, you know, get out from his dad's shadow. Like, I have no idea. But, like, he's more motivated and more passionate about it than I think fans give him credit for. And Brody, obviously, <laughs> the last thing he wants to do is go from what he was doing as an, a successful agent to then make his move to GM and be a failure. Like, that wasn't the plan. So I feel like the two of them combined on their own, regardless of what we're saying and what the blogs are saying and the media. So, like, I think they have a view that is a lot more uh, urgent then maybe we all give them credit for and they've known each other for a while they're golfing buddies like i don't think anybody's pulling ownership into it like my guess is they're very much in communication when francesa today on the radio says something like you know that's ownership and the front office to me that's just the two of them like i think that's really what that's about and i don't think they're going to let this get away from them if there's an opportunity if they believe that there's an opportunity to win um now like I said, they are, let's say, five or six games under 500 in early June, and it goes south from there, and they make the managerial change, and then they continue to lose. Like, they're going to have to be sellers. They're not going to have a choice, right? That's going to change the conversation. But I think until that happens, I just, you know, I think they've got a clear vision the way we do. And I think while they don't want to come out and necessarily word it that way, um, you know, having talked to these guys uh, in the offseason and during spring training, like, they're they're not – you know, they want to win. This isn't just, hey, let's make some money and move on. Like, I think they're a little more desperate than I think people think. And and I think people forget, Brody Van Wagenen rose to the top of a, the, the baseball department yeah. at CAA. I mean, the, I don't think people really register how hard that is. I mean, think about anybody who's listening. It, you know, you work for a big company at SNY in, in a way. How hard it is to rise to the top of these companies, no matter how good you are, how passionate you are. You know, knowing that to hear things like, "Well, he's a puppet. He's not really. He's hiding. He's not, not. He's got a business. I mean, it's it, whether you yeah. like it or not. Whether you like the uh, the hire or not. Uh, to me, that makes me laugh. And I think the other part, and maybe it's you know, people have said you got conspiracy theories. You know, you're paranoid. And I'm not expecting the media to be Mets fans. That's not their job. But I do think there is a cluster of them, if not most, if not all, that really would enjoy this to be chaotic. I think it's better of for the business. Of course, of course, of course. Now in the Yankee yes. land, in Yankee land, it's good to be the '90s. You know, let's do the the pink Cadillac and let's float with the Yankees. But with the Mets, I really believe they want chaos. They want this to fail. Well, and if you don't believe it, Twitter tells you all you need to know because I think Twitter reveals a lot more about who people, what they really think, than 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 what print does or or eClicks or whatever yeah. it is when it's nypost.com, whatever it may be. Um, I, I agree with that. I think the difference between, because like earlier in the year when the Yankees were struggling a little bit and there were a lot of injuries and there was a lot of negative reporting, but it's a different, and I mean, maybe because we're Mets fans and like we see it that way, but I, I feel like it's different. And as somebody who kind of has to toe the line between being media, you know, working for the team a little bit, being a fan, uh, trying to, you know, just trying to kind of keep myself in the middle of all this, like as media and listening to the way the reporters talk and kind of the way they uh, angle and speak about stories and what they're going to write about the Mets versus the Yankees. There is a, almost like a built-in narrative with the Mets that is so much easier to, to pile onto and continue and perpetuate because it's, I think in some ways funny to people that aren't Mets fans and it's um, you know, it speaks to writing articles about the owners and there's just a whole you know, storyline that goes with it, where if the Yankees are losing, it's a different dynamic. It takes on a different thing. They are, you know, you know, it's the world champions are bust and all this stuff. Like that's their story. And so the Mets story is this continued, uh, you know, like Charlie Brown with the football and Lucy, like that's their narrative. And I think the media likes to cover it that way. Um, So given the opportunity to pull the football, they're, they're gonna. So, and that's, that's fine. That's their business. Like you said, 
um, you know, uh, with all due respect to, uh, you know, reporting and facts, they're in the business of drama and chaos. That's how they make money. I don't think that's necessarily the motive of the beat reporter, but it definitely is the columnist and the editors and the papers as a whole. Um, you know, and that's just how it goes. Like, it ha- that's not a new thing, by the way. It's just that I think it's so much more informed and transparent to an extent because of social, uh, you know, we see it or a little bit more skeptical. And that's just not in sports. That's in every uh, field. But I- I'm with you. I-, I think, and that's my concern. I wrote this a, a couple weeks back where, like, if they, if they start to dip and, you know, the wagons will circle. And it's not just them, it's fans too. Like, we're going to get antsy, and it's all just going to spiral around them. And it's a lot of new players, and it's a new GM, and it's a young manager. And, like, who knows how they're going to deal with all that stuff. And, like, it will take you down. So, you know, you want to see him stay afloat. And to, to speak to the point about Brody, to call him a pup, like, anybody saying that doesn't have any idea what they're talking about. Because, like, it's just not, that is not who he is. There is no way you leave the job that he had and the status and the money and everything else to come to a team that you don't think has the potential that at the very least that you have the potential to turn around because he doesn't, the last thing he wants to do is come here and have egg on his face. That, that's just going to kill him. His ego and his, huh? his need for fame and, and the electricity that comes to me that he's, he's a prominent agent. Like he likes the attention and you saw it during spring training. There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that person comes to a situation like this and just throws his hands up and, you know, goes with what he's told to do. It's just not his DNA. And I agree with that. And we have Matt Sorrell, Matt's blog with us, uh, joining us. Great stuff here. I think what's interesting is even if they are, um, you know, three, four, five under, which I don't, you know, that would be bad. And we know that this stretch is important. You know, I was looking back, I mean, if you, and, and, I, and I know that this is rationalized because this is not where you want the Mets to be. Uh, and this is not where they want to be. But I even looked, 2006, Los Angeles Dodgers, who the Mets played uh, in the first round of the playoffs, and they actually gave them a pretty good series. Uh, they were 47 and 55 at one point that year. 47 and 55, not 17 and 20. The two, 1996 Baltimore Orioles, who could have you know, beaten the, the Yankees in the ALCS, they were under 500, I think, going into the trade deadline, where yeah. there was talk of them almost ripping that team there's apart. Plenty, Atlanta Braves there's plenty of stories. Yeah. Plenty of stories. The 99 Mets, 27, 28. Yeah, now, I was again, just say, right, right, right. The Mets of that era, you know, when they fired all Valentine's coaches. Like, the, it happens. Teams are struggling. They all of a sudden catch fire. now, though. I feel it's different it now, and I feel there's more panic. And I don't know if this has been built up from 2007. Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. now it's worse because normally if I'm 17 and 20 and I'm the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I know that they haven't had the 10-year run or you know, negative run maybe the Mets have had, I don't think they're panicking. And, I mean, it's no, funny. I'm looking not. at the reporters yesterday asking Cano, are you panicked? And Cano's looking at them like, what? And Cano's looking at them like, yeah, what? I'm saying, you're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing some of these questions because you have to ask them, but it's just kind of getting silly now, to be honest. It is. It's just, it's, it's so, I mean, the Cubs probably had this for a little bit, but then they, they did what they did. They won the world series. They got that monkey off their back, but the two team city, when one is so successful and the other has struggled over the last three decades, you know, and that, like I said, that built in narrative is there. It doesn't take much. As I want to speak from the Mets, the fan point of view, like it doesn't take much as I feel it. I'm sure you do, even though some would say I'm the most hopeful and optimistic fan. And I think that's only because, you know, to me, if you're not going to be that, like, I don't really fully understand the point of watching sports. Like if you're going to beat yourself up over it, go do something that's going to be more fun and fulfilling, but that's just my own point of view. So like, I try to be optimistic because like that to me is the fun part, but even that said, at 17 and 20, I think, oh, Christ, here we go again. Like, you just can't help it. So, like, if I feel that way, then the most negative fan clearly feels that way. And, it, like I said, it just starts to, you know, start to, it just starts to circle down the drain. Like, it's just the way we work. And when, you know, it'll bubble up, right? 15, 16, they were terrible starts. End up, you know, or really they had hot starts and dipped and then were able to pull it back together. Same thing happened in sixteen or in seventeen and eighteen didn't end so well. So like you know you never you never know, and one has nothing to do with the other. But to me, the difference between like you'd mentioned Willie, 
some of those other teams, <clears throat> really, you know, had his medal tested with the Yankees. I mean, people forget he was through the Bronx Zoo and he was by Tory's side. I mean, he'd seen it all. Callaway coming from Cleveland, there's no disrespect to the Indians, but it is apples and oranges compared to not only being in New York, but also having to lead the Mets. You know, it's a different ball game, no pun intended. And I think, it, I think that to me is a difference because how is he going to, he puts on a nice face and I think he presents himself, but there's no way, I don't care what or who you are, you're, you know, a year and a half into your career as a manager in this city with this franchise, with these fans and these reporters, there is no way he's getting a good night's sleep. You know, like he's thinking about this stuff and like the worse it gets, there's no way that's not going to impact him and that's going to impact the team and so on and so on. And so I, to me, that's the difference. Like Willie, I don't think he buckled. I think where he buckled was just that he didn't, I, my understanding and talking to him, like I think he just felt trapped. Like he couldn't do his job the way he felt he needed to do it to win because he had to do all these other things because the team was losing and press conferences and deal with all this other nonsense. Now that's probably not accurate, but that was his viewpoint. Whereas like Mickey, I suspect is going to get a little, you know, um, overwhelmed panic. And that's my fear because that type of stuff will translate to the team. And I think the media will sense that we'll sense it. And like, that's not good. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but like if Girardi was the manager, like that wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Cause like he's taken shots for decades around here. Like he knows how it works. So like in some ways, and like, again, Riggleman, I, I don't know, but like, I, I don't know how he'll handle it here. It's different. It's just a different animal. You know it. I know it. And like, it's such an important part when acquiring players and acquiring managers it's different for the Yankees the Mets have to be sharp with that stuff it's and I don't know that they always are and that to me is like one of the big things that needs to change um that I would like to see Brody do is like really bring in winners bring in people with a pedigree people who know this city that can handle this nonsense and like deal with it um because they're the first line of defense and again go back to Willie just as an example like he dropped his guard and the the next people are the players and the media goes to them and starts drawing, you know, creating drama and contention between players. And next thing you know, there's all kinds of, and then like that becomes the focus. So you need a strong front line. And that always concerns me about, you know, these kind of new manager come from a smaller market. Like I just, it's not always, that's not how I would go, but that's just me. Uh, you know, the interesting part is if they start to lose, you're already seeing it. And, and believe me, General managers calling Andy Martino or, you know, these things that are floated in the New York Daily News, the Post, there is marketing that general managers do to try to get stuff out there through the media. And, and, the, and the media, like we talked about, has been all too uh, ready to trade away pretty much any Mets young player for sometimes puzzling packages. Um, but this team – Well, that never happened, the by big the way, difference is, for what it's worth. Right. Right. This team, I still think, even if things go bad, you fire Mickey – and, and, and you muddle and you muddle around 500, there's still a lot here where a rebuild, even last year because of the pitching, I don't think a rebuild is necessary. Now, in 2010, it kind of was. They didn't invest in that team. That is the Madoff situation. Here you've got an elite closer. You've got McNeil. You've got Alonzo. These pitchers are still have a couple more years of control that are not named DeGrom. Uh, you got Lugo. you got Gazelman. Uh, you know, I just don't see a team that's trash – in front of me, I have a hard time believing that it will go the same route as last year. Maybe they won't win 95 games or 90 games. I, I feel like even in the worst-case scenario, this team is going to muddle to a 500 record, and that's a disappointment. There's still a lot here, and to rebuild and trash it look at the, is just not – Look at the division. It's not what I would do. It's not like they're alone in the division. I mean, the Braves and the Nationals have not played well either, a lot in part because they're playing each other. And, and as expected, they're splitting sideways. Uh, the Phillies have pulled ahead, but they've had a really easy schedule. And, you know, I don't know that what we're watching is a true um, read on or gauge on what the rest of the season, which, by the way, there's still like 100 and some odd games left. So, like, I, I don't know. I, it's not that I want to say oh, it's early, but I, I think it's early in the sense that the schedules have been a little weird. The Mets have had some odd travel. They played – better teams than the other teams have played. You know, the Nationals are not going to bumble around like this. They will figure it out at some point. You know, the Phillies are going to – they have to. They're going to hit a little bit of a skid. Bryce Harper will, like, you know, get into a fight with somebody or some crazy nonsense will happen. And, you know, something's going to happen. Like, it's just 
And so I, I don't think the Phillies are just going to run away with it and win the division by 20 games and the Mets and the Nationals and the Braves are all going to finish under 500. That's not going to happen. Now, are the Mets going to be the ones that, that pull ahead? I don't know. But I think the opportunity will be there just so long as they can hold the line. So long as they can get to June, July, get into that trade deadline area and still be, uh, you know, still have, even if they're just flirting with the idea of being sellers, but they're still potentially, but kind of like they were in 15, there's the same kind of, you know, time frame is just hold the line so that things don't implode and then give themselves a chance to kind of make some acquisitions or maybe the other something, there's injuries around the, the like just let it play out. But if they can't get there and these next 16 games are going to be important because they're against, you know, the Marlins nationals, Marlins nationals and the tigers, you know, that's huge. They, they, if they mess that up and then have to play a harder schedule, they're going to be toast. It's going to be really hard to pull out of that. But if they can get through this and win more than they lose and get into June, either at or slightly above or maybe slightly above, you know, below 500, I think they'll be okay. But they got to get to that point, or as we've already outlined a number of times in this conversation, like it's going to hit the fan. It just is. There's no way around it. Wow. Absolutely. Hey, I know you got to run, but I thought also – uh, before I let you go, your piece on the baseballs, and you've been talking about this, yeah. was interesting because a couple of reasons why I go back, and I've talked about this with a couple other guests. Number one, every sport has played around with itself to gain more offense, NFL, NBA, even hockey, uh, to try to get more offense for entertainment. And you have your regular season game, then you have your postseason game. And the regular season is entertainment, and the postseason is when it really gets real. Now, baseball has a postseason game. But it's not to the degree of which the NBA and the NFL and even hockey uh, change. And if they are messing with the baseball, which is some theories, there isn't proof, but there's theories out there to generate offense, forcing the pitchers to have less of a grip, you know, maybe make it harder for them to, to do their craft. I don't like it. I'm not saying this should be 1968, but I'd like the game the way it was. I know the shifts and some of the strikeouts, which I believe eventually will organically change because I think teams won't win with just doing those extreme styles, uh, will change. I know attendance is down, but I worry what you're looking into and what you investigated is the beginning of the league trying to force itself to change, to be a more offensive game, which, by the way, probably will result in longer games and ugliness yeah. that they're trying it's to avoid not anyway. the answer. You saw it. It's not the you answer. saw it in the Brewers the series. That Saturday night yeah. game against Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago, that's what they want. That was not fun baseball. That was ugly baseball, in my opinion. And it was an yeah. 8-6 game. So it was a fun game, but it wasn't a, a well-played game, in my opinion. So uh, I'm that's gonna, my I'm rant. Gonna, I'll leave gonna, that with you to see what your thoughts are. You know, I'll comment on that two ways, and then i got to split. But uh, one is I think – and I used to be involved in conversations like this with the league and now I don't get called at all. And it's because I have a fundamental disagreement with what they think is valuable, which they think it's a highlight sport. It's not, you know, a home run means nothing. If you don't know what a home run means, it's just, it, they all look the same. There's nothing, there's nothing to it. The, the, the 32nd clip means nothing to somebody who doesn't fully understand the purpose of it or what it means. It's irrelevant. That is not how you hook millennials, which is what I think they're obsessed with. It's like every other sport. It's about story, emotion. It's about all the, that's what pulls you in. That's what pulls in casual fans, by the way. And that's what makes them stick. They get emotionally invested. That's why the playoffs are so awesome in baseball. Cause it's all story intention. It's all drama, drama. It's emotional. It's something you watch and, and absorb and you invest in. And that is what they're missing. They think it's highlights. They think it's, home runs, they think it's launch angle and all this other nonsense, which is, I'm sure, important and it has its value, but at the end of the day, like, people need to invest emotionally in this stuff or they're just not going to care. And football, you know, has the one game a week, so they can build it all out on the one game. And if you think about the NFL broadcast, it's so dramatic and there's high music and all this, and it seems ridiculous, but it's not. Like, that gets people going. Baseball doesn't do that. It's 162 games, it's a long season, I think baseball struggles with how to tell that story. And my advice was you got, that's where you got to figure it out. You got to pull in, you know, younger fans and older and make it this common thing that you're buying into. Otherwise you're going to lose. And they are. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other is with the ball. What I what prompted me to write that was I had a few different conversations over the span of about a week with a variety of opinions. <laughs> like, 
some that thought it was the ball, others that thought it was the cat and mouse game and just that hitters were adjusting and pitchers now would need to adjust. Others that were talking about how, well, who cares? It doesn't matter. They can take it with the ball they want. It's the responsibility then, you know, sort of the Bill Belichick or Mike's world where just have to find the inefficiency, adjust and be the best at that and just keep doing it over and over again. So like, you know, they had the offensive boom and the DH, you know, and the, at one point, and then all of a sudden in the 80s, everything was small ball. You know, the Cardinals, and, well, we got to hit and run and steal bait. Like, it's just the ebb and flow of the game. And so, like, I talked to some people that were like, who cares? We'll just adjust and play a different style. Um, you know, and start getting players. It takes time. But, like, the point I'm making is I don't think the ball is the answer. And it's not the end-all, be-all. And, you know, offense can be boring to those of us who like pitching defense. Um, you know, but as long as the game shakes itself out, and we continue to be emotionally invested. And you think about it, that's why we keep watching because we can't stop. Like we want to know how this goes. We want to know what, you know, how this story ends, even though there really is no ending. It's an emotional thing. We're all emotionally invested. That's why we yell at our televisions and everybody gets mad. Like that's what it's about. So ball, no ball, um, five, you know, 600 foot home runs versus, you know, bunt down the third baseline. It doesn't make a difference. The point is that as long as we're invested in it, that's, what makes the game move. And I just feel like they're working against that. That's, that's my two cents. Matt, I know you got to run. Thank you so much. This was very fun. Let's do it again. Be well. And I really appreciate you spending some time with us tonight. Same to you. Don't let it be too long. Give me a ring anytime. All right. Take care. That's Matt Cerrone at Matthew Cerrone on Twitter. Mets blog. You guys know him. Check out his book, the New York Mets fans bucket list. I think, uh, you know, with father's day coming up, I think that'd be a good gift for your father or what Mother's Day, your mom. I mean, you know, let's, let's not forget. Moms could be Mets fans, too. Hey, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today we're back real interesting stuff from Matt Serrano I really enjoyed that conversation it was one of the better ones we've had this year and, and not because I think he and I were really in agreement on a lot of things I just think there was a lot of context there and what makes the news cycle and that's what makes this podcast fun, and I guess what's making being a fan fun is maybe some of the soap opera drama that comes with it. But in the end, I think you got to really take a step back and put context and put this game in perspective of what it is over 162 games. And I think we continue to try to make this the NFL. And we try to make this the drama that the NBA and its league and its players like to create, that soap opera thing. Baseball has got to be itself. If, if if anything, what, what you heard out of that when it came to trying to push the offense into what it's not to be and maybe at times what we want it to be, it's got to be what it is. It's chess. It's not checkers. It's not three minutes and out. It's over. It's there for you like a companion. And I'm not trying to be Roger Angel, Peter Gammons here, all nostalgic. I'm not trying to be boys of summer nostalgic to you. But what, what makes baseball fun is it's there every night. It's that companion. It's it's with you for so many long summer nights and, and throughout a course of six months, seven months. And then you go away and, and it kind of comes and, you know, it's gone in a flash. But, but when it's back, it's there for a while. And you can't start to get this into where you want it to be like the other sports. Because a successful team goes out, works, gets a routine. And stays consistent to what they believe is whatever those winning principles are. 
and you can't just get off track because you're off to a bad start or have a bad two weeks or have a bad three weeks or have a bad 40 games because you break down every team season, they're going to have bad stretches. Now, is it important to put a stop to it? The real key for this Mets team is going to be can they stamp it out now, especially against inferior competition or competition that's struggling, or are they going to let this spiral? If they do June 2018 again, yeah, they're done. And that's very disappointing. And, and you're right. Then you have to start to see what, what the process is, what's the routine, what's the preparation that the manager has put them through. Uh, because I don't think this is a bad roster. And I don't care what anybody says. You're not going to convince me otherwise. And I have a hard time believing every veteran, because of some curse, is going to go and have their bodies turned to dust because they're north of 30 when they had good years just a year ago. I have a hard time believing that. That's not the way the world works. Curses and voodoo and all that stuff. It's it's the same thing I used to make jokes about on my ESPN broadcast about uh, you know Yankees math and 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 pinstripe power and uh, pixie dust and fairies. It, that's nonsense. That's stuff that you know kids when they're six years old with feety pajamas on play into, not what adults who are trying to uh, enjoy baseball or in this case talk about baseball that uh, should be speaking about. That's 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 childish nonsense. So. Anyway, we're out of time. I want to thank our good friend Matt Cerrone. You can check out his book, uh, The Mets Fan's Bucket List. Also, uh, check him out at, at Mets Blogs, SNY.TV, at Matthew Cerrone on Twitter. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast pretty soon. Take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.